All right, good morning, everyone. Now you're all just going to stare at that bag, just going to wonder. Carlos was like, did you get me a gift? Yes, I did. It was good. How was Thanksgiving? Great. It was great. Some of you haven't eaten since Thursday, huh? You're like, well, Dale, this fasting thing is much easier than I thought. <laughs> well, when you gas yourself. It's good to see you all. It's Christmassy in here. Look at that. Some of you are like, what the heck? Is it Christmas already? I know some of you are like, December 1st is when we start. Some of you have been wanting to push play on those Christmas songs for a long time. Some of you have been. Some of us wait till the 24th because I can only handle so much Jingle Bell Rock. So there you go. A few weeks ago, I um, got invited. Well, I got invited a while ago, but a few weeks ago, I went to a birthday party. It was um, my uh, mom and dad's. It was like their, my mom's best friend. And uh, she turned 90. So it was up in Concord where I, I grew up. And so really, my dad got invited. So they also know my dad doesn't drive. So I got an invitation too. And I think it was like, hey, we hope you can come. I'm like, you're just hoping I bring my dad. So as me and my dad were driving up to this birthday party, I had a flashback. I'm like, wow, dad, you used to drive me to birthday parties. Now I'm driving you to birthday parties. And he's like, yeah, this is kind of nice. And I'm like, whatever. So I went to her birthday party, and this is a lady I've known since, um, I mean, that sounds weird. I've known her before I was born, which would be like a physical, literal impossibility. But I've known her since I was a really little kid, and she has this nickname for me. She calls me Sweet Dale. <laughs> and you're like, of course she does, because that's what we call our pastor all the time, Sweet Dale. And you would think that nickname would wear off once I hit 9, 10, 13. At 56, I walk into the house. She's like, oh, sweet Dale's here. And I'm like, so if you guys could keep up with that, that would be great. But as a case with birthday parties, I don't know, there's 50, 60 people there. Um, the day is about the person's birthday, right? Uh, the family was there. There was a slideshow going on in the room. And, and it wasn't just a slideshow about other things or like, her favorite trip. It was pictures of her with friends. Because that's what birthday parties do. They have the person who's in the person you're celebrating right there in the middle of it. Another thing that she says to me every time I see her is, oh, Dale, no, oh, sweet Dale, you're doing my funeral as well. And I'm like, well, today is not that day. Because memorial services, though they can be joyous in a celebration of life, are different than a birthday party. A birthday party has the person and they're still there and you're celebrating them. Memorial services, they're not there, but you're talking about them. I haven't met a single person who would at least out loud say, oh, Christmas or Advent is a memorial service. No, we say it's a birthday. It's Jesus' birthday. And I think the good question to ask every single time is, where is Jesus in the middle of this celebration? If you've read or even just heard the scriptural account of Jesus' life, even if you just came to like Christmas and Good Friday and Easter, you would know that Jesus came 
He died, he rose again, and after appearing to a handful of people, hundreds, he ascended. He left. He even said that it's better that I leave so the Holy Spirit can come. So then the question comes up, so where is he now? Theologically, we know that he is in heaven, though I can't pretend to even actually tell you exactly where that is. If you ask a little kid, maybe in Sunday school, where is Jesus? They may point to their heart. And he's not literally in your aortic valve, but that's kind of a good place to start because in so many ways, it's the center of our being, our soul. Because that's always been a doorway of connecting with God. So where is Jesus now on his birthday? It's actually a kind of a scary question when I ask myself that, if I really challenge myself how I celebrate these seasons. The things that I elevate, the things that I look forward to, and they're not bad things, they're good things in the traditions and the history, and we love the lights and the songs. But I want to ask us this holiday season, is there a way to have an honest Advent? One that points to the reality of Jesus. Because while we can look at the songs and the lights and the candles and the pageantry and it's so exciting, you can also look to the pregnancy, to the biology, to the history, and truly connect with the incarnation of Christ. Christ becoming human. When I was in college, I had a, an art appreciation class. And I talk about this time to time. It surprises me because it was like one of my least favorite classes, but it keeps sticking with me. And it was one of my least favorite classes at the time because I didn't understand how to appreciate art. And we'd always have these sections where the professor would say, they look at this piece of art. What is it saying to you? And I'm like, I don't know. I could do that, <laughs> you know? And so I would just make things up. Oh, he looks angry. And, he, and the professor's like, you don't know what you're talking about. And I really struggled with this. So he took a different approach. He would tell us about the person's life, what they were experiencing. Maybe they just had gone through a tragedy or maybe go through a great joy and they would talk about the things he experienced. And then he showed us the art. And then he said, now what is this painting saying to you? Because when I stared at the humanity of the artist, his expression started to open up. And when we stare at the humanity of the Advent story, humanity starts to open up. And we start to realize that maybe this isn't just the Advent story, but this is our story as Christ became us. When the Apostle Paul stared at the humanity, he famously wrote these verses. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. Advent, the anticipation of, is literally God's story of becoming human. 
As Eugene Peterson brilliantly paraphrased in his message, he said, Jesus moved in to the neighborhood. This time of year, we look at the most humble birth of the most highly exalted person. Most humble birth of the most highly exalted person. If there's anything reflective of this in nature that we just observe, it has to be the seed. How small the seed is, yet in the seed is the DNA of the crop or product that it can develop. And one of the things that we know about seeds is that it literally has to fall into the ground and die. It is then they produce the plant that's within them. The ground doesn't choose the seed, but once the ground is fertile, any seed will grow. And a seed lies dormant as long as it doesn't fall into the soil. But once it does, what is developing? You see, Advent is someone letting go of something to become someone. Advent is someone letting go of something to become someone. In reality, Advent is a story of shocking change. I mean, if you look at the humanity of it, not just the outcome, not just the lens looking backwards, but the things that were literally happening, a young girl suddenly becomes a mom while never having been intimate with a man. That would be shocking. A young man suddenly becomes a dad, kind of, meaning he shared zero DNA with his son and yet and nobody believed him that he didn't do the things they assumed he did. But he was asked by God to let God's plan all the way into his life. That's a bit shocking. And then there's God becoming an infant, humanly reliant, relationally connected, and totally dependent on this young woman who was shocked and this young man who was shocked. And this is God's plan. This is our outline for the next few weeks. In the last seven weeks, we had an outline of a triangle. So here is our outline this week. We have a woman. We have a dad. And we have a baby. I know, you're like, that is pretty complex. If you're like me, sometimes we forget what we're talking about. We have a mom. We have a dad. We have an infant. The one thing we all have been is this one. The thing that we all have had is this one. And the thing that we long to have a relationship, probably more, is this one. Not just the human one, but the heavenly one. What if we looked at our nativity scenes, and you may already have them up in your house, but you may see them around town, but what if we looked at as our nativity scenes as not just the story looking back, but our story for a few weeks? Where do we see our story in this? Although the story of Advent is sacred and unique, the human experience and navigation of fear and trust and surprise and shock really is transcendent to all of us. So what if this wasn't just the A story, but our story? 
Author Ronald Roheiser writes in his beautiful book, The Restless Hearts, anyone who deeply and honestly shares with us the struggles of her heart, her pains and fears, helps to make us more free. This is so because your story is really in some way our story. It's everybody's story. What if we had an honest advent instead of just going through the traditions and going through the things that we normally see, and here's the nativity scene, we just stop and stare and go, what was it really like for her? What was it really like for him? And in that moment of God becoming totally reliant on both of them. There's another group that often shows up in nativity scenes, right? It's not in ours because I guess... We couldn't afford the whole set or something. But there's like these shepherds. <laughs> there wasn't any there. I probably lost them. The, do the dog ate them. The That's a weird Christmas story. The year the dog ate the shepherd. There's shepherds though, right? We know this. We know this from the Charlie Brown Christmas too. Right? They were told there was a sign. What's up with a sign? They needed a sign because here's the truth about this one. As a baby, Jesus looked like any other baby. So they had a sign. And what was a sign? There's a sign you're going to go into this town and you're going to find a baby in swaddling clothes and he's going to be lying in a feeding trough. Because that's what a manger was. Now try to picture this in the unexpected story of Advent. The shepherds racing into a town asking where the baby is that's lying in a feeding trough. I've always found this to be really kind of weird that Mary and Joseph showed up and we have this vi vision of an innkeeper, though the Bible never says there was an innkeeper, but it is, we have this vision where they show up and they're like, uh, room for two plus maybe one coming. And they're like, oh, sorry, no vacancy, right? We kind of look at this, maybe that's just kind of how I was raised, how the story went. I always found it super odd, though, that Joseph was going back to the place where his family was from, and no doubt thousands of other people that he may have been related to, and there really wasn't any space, really, for him and his wife who was nine and a half months, ten months pregnant. Really, nobody could share a corner of their room. I can't help but think they were shunned. Because no matter how they explained their scenario, no matter how many times they're like, no, really, we didn't, we didn't have intimacy, we didn't have sex. Like, the Holy Spirit came, you're like, yeah, yeah, right. This angel showed up, and all of a sudden I'm with bait, and they're like, no. People turned their backs on them and just said there was no room. And you can write this one in pencil because the Bible doesn't say either, but I just have a shocking time thinking their family would not have provided a space. That even those closest to them said, nope, it's shameful. And yet another shocking thing about this scene is what people interpreted as shameful was God's idea. And that God initiated it. And they were just asked to trust God while experiencing the doubts of family and friends. This idea that there's a sign and that they need to look for something, these shepherds, tells us something amazing. 
that there's a surprise. There's a surprising aspect to Advent. One of the questions I want to ask you today, are you open to a surprise? Not from me, but from God. What is so surprising about Advent? Well, one of it is the vulnerability chosen by God to be with us. There's nothing more surprising to me than the master creator of the universe deciding to become the most vulnerable one in the story. And if he decided that he would do this, what else would God do for you? If he decided that this was the option, I can't help but think, what else would God do for me? What else, to what lengths would God go to save me? To save you? To remember this in the Advent story. Over the next few weeks, like I shared, we're going to stare at the humanity of the story. Next week, Christy, who is a mom, is going to talk about motherhood at Advent time. We're going to take some time to talk about infants and being born and, and the issues and the reliance and the vulnerability of that. We're going to talk about fatherhood and the pressures and the stress and the God who calls us his father, yet we see him through a very difficult lens. And in all of these three things, there is this rhythm of fear yet trust and courage. Advent, and for so many, and if you stare at this story, there's fear. There's the beginnings of trust. And then a word that we do not use a lot at Christmas time is courage. For a few minutes as we have our time together, I want to talk about that. I want to talk about our relationship with fear. Some of you might be going, oh, I'd rather you not. But what is our relationship with fear? Because in this story, we see it all over the place. If we just stared at it, Mary was afraid. Joseph was afraid. The shepherds were afraid. Herod was afraid. And you're like, of course they were afraid. You would be afraid too if these cosmic events happened and they just showed up and you're like, boom, you're having a baby. Boom, your, your fiancé is pregnant. Boom, shepherds. I know you're mining your fields at nighttime, but here's a cosmic event. And then this guy, these wise men show up and tell Herod, there's a new king in town. All of those events cause fear. All of those events cause some things inside of their life. But all of us have a fear. Sometimes fear can be described like this, false expectations appearing real. You see, God wired our brains, though, to have some fear. Because it protects us. It's built in. It's a primary emotion. Experts in mental health arena will say this. Fear is the response to a perceived threat, while anxiety involves worry about a threat that has not yet or may ever happen. For example, if you're in a dark garage and late in the evening, it's a good thing that we have a little fear to be aware of our surroundings. It often keeps us safe and in tune. A healthy level can help us face some of our challenge and achieve our goals. However, there are times when fear or anxiety become unhealthy, when they interfere with our ability to function. So when God says in this story, or God says to you, do not 
fear. What is he saying? He's not telling you to command you to shut off something he's put in you. God's model citizen is not one that's emotionalist and a stoic robot. I think the real issue is God, with God and our fear is like, where do we go with them? So I ask you, where do you go with your fears when things feel bigger than you? How do you deal with them? Fear can paralyze us, right? But there's this movement away from it or in it that starts to bring trust. I would say Advent says trust is possible. If you look at this story, trust is possible. An honest Advent this year for you might be being open to redefine your journey with fear. Redefine the things that are holding you back. Because between fear and trust is a word so full of faith and so full of power and so full of change. And this word is courage. So while you're driving around and you see uh, words posted on signs and on front lawns that say peace, love, and joy during this time of year, I want you to put in another word in there, and that is courage. Advent is a story of deep, deep courage. You see, experiencing the fear might not be the problem. It could just be that we're trying to fight it by simply denying it or dwelling in it, trying to be obedient as good Christians. Just don't have fear or fear not. But instead of sitting with it, we might need to move in it. Fear shows up in a lot of different ways, right? You can think of it, and it kind of shows up like this. One, you find yourself striving in vain for an impossible-to-achieve standard of perfection. Because the fear within you might be somebody might think that you're not perfect. Let me give you a hint. You're not. But some of us are so driven to be perfect and have the perception of it, and we can't have people thinking that we're not, so we strive and we strive and we strive. Fear shows up that you settle on the other side for less than your dreams. Because when when fear runs the show, you forget how to dream and you compromise in the name of being realistic. Was this realistic? Another way fear shows up is you kind of numb yourself with food or alcohol, technology or excessive busyness just to keep the pain at bay. Another way fear shows up is you procrastinate a lot. When you're afraid of putting yourself in the arena because of the fear of failure, pushes you to do nothing. Sometimes fear shows up and we struggle to make decisions. Like, I don't want to do that because we're afraid that what if we did the wrong thing? When the Holy Spirit is telling you in time, it's time to move. It's time to leave that toxic relationship. It's time to quit that soul-sucking job. Or it's time to set some boundaries with your mother. You're terrified of the uncertainty of it all. I mean, fear shows up in so many ways, and it's so understandable, and I think we all can relate to those things. But just instead of Advent being a place where we just go, oh, the trees and the songs, which are so good, what if we infuse the word courage? 
As Thomas Merton wrote in his book of Seasons of Celebration, he wrote this, Fear narrows the little entrance of our heart. It shrinks up our capacity to love. It freezes up our power to give, up our power to give ourselves. In this story, look at some of the things around courage. Some of you are like, are you sure this is courage? To Mary, greetings. You are highly favored. The Lord is with you. What was the courageous moment here? God steps towards Mary. And when God steps towards us, courage can start to arise. To Joseph, when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. God once again moved first. And then Joseph responded with what? With courage to draw Mary and the womb of Mary that contained God closer to him, knowing that all sorts of observations from the world would come in. To the shepherds, when the angels had left them and gone into the heavens, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see the thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. Surprise didn't jump into fear, propelled courage, and it was a courage, what? To worship him. Sometimes in our day and age, it takes absolute courage to worship him. So maybe right now I wonder, I just wonder with you, my family, my friends, my church, what has Jesus been asking you to courageously step into or courageously to give up? And you may have been doing it for a long time. And during this Advent season of courage, you consider taking a step. I know for me, my limited view of God had to be confronted in order for me to overcome my hesitancy to trust him. Because there's times I'm like, God, you can do this, this, and this, but I got to take care of this one. But it wasn't until I let that piece go. Nothing that my God won't do for me. This here. This is evidence and proof. There is nothing your God won't do for you to save you, to be with you. If this doesn't blow out of the water our limited view of what is possible, our limited view of what God desires, then it has to be more than a story. But it has to be a courageous act. From his book, Ruthless Trust, Brendan Manning writes, My trust in God flows out of the experience of his loving me day in and day out, whether the day is stormy or fair, whether I'm sick or in good health, whether I'm in a state of grace or disgrace. He comes to me where I live, and he loves me as I am. This is what's amazing. As Mary and Joseph entered Bethlehem and found no place that would allow them to be with them because they were ashamed of them, God says, I'm not ashamed of you. The antithesis of the humanity's response to God working in them was to push away, yet God looks at us and says, I have every reason in the world and every right in the world to push you away, but I draw near to you with courage. 
When life feels out of control, fear says, life is happening to me. I better protect myself from getting hurt. Trust says, God is forming me into something better than I can even imagine. And courage says, I refuse to miss out on what God wants to do in me. My relationships and in my marriage and in my family. Fear says, God, stop it. Trust says, God, you're changing me. Courage says, I want more. Advent can be a time of courage. In reality, Advent is a master class in the area of courage. The enemy wants you to be hurt and frustrated, and there's times it just feels so overwhelming. But this is a model of courage. May that word permeate you over the next month as you seek him, as you're open to him. Because this transformation from God, this courageous thing within us, is ignited from his spirit within us. It is emboldened by his truth that's given to us. It is supported by his community that is around us, and it is nurtured by the curating of his soil beneath us. And when you pause and see what God did, is doing, and is going to do, you realize that it is courage that right-sizes fear and then begins to clear the path of trust. Let's take a moment and just be quiet before God. I invite you to take a posture of receiving. I think it just opens ourselves up before God. It could be for a long time you've been feeling this movement God's been spurring in you like there's more. You've been hanging on to this long enough. I wonder if this Advent season might be the time where you let go, that you move. That instead of another season that's just filled with distraction, that's just filled with memories or things that point to everything else but Jesus, that you would be able to look at even the nativity scene and go, man, that was an act of courage. Courage by our Father, courage by Jesus to take on the form of a baby to become totally reliant on a teenage mom and maybe a teenage dad who weren't really sure what they were doing, yet God was with them. Could be courage to be the mom that you've always wanted to be, but you just feel like you're not and you're falling short. To know that God is with you. Be the courage to be the dad that you wanted to be feel like you're falling short, but God is with you. To be open and asking God, if you were willing to do this to save me, what else can you do? Some of you just need to open yourselves up to that. Recently, I was uh, reading 
devotional called Jesus Lives. And it's written in a way as if it's Jesus' words to us. So I just want you to listen to this as if these are Jesus' words for you. Most of your fear stems from pondering bad things that could happen, leaving me out of that imaginary scenario. And this is a very harmful practice. It's also an exercise in unreality. Although your future stretches all the way into eternity, there is not even one second where I will be absent from you. Whenever your mind wanders into the future, make the effort to include me in that imagery. See me helping you, strengthening you, encouraging you. Instead of being intimidated by tough times ahead, view them as adventures that you and I together can handle. My friends, you can do it. We can do it. Because Jesus is in the middle of it, leading us and guiding us and pulling it forward. May this Advent season be every bit about that.